BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Oh, man, what a last 48 hours of basketball it's been. What a last six hours of basketball it's been. And I mean, both of these games were crazy enough to lead our show and lead us to want to talk about them for an hour. I think, though, Danny, we got to talk about the Miami Heat going up 3-1 on the Milwaukee Bucks and one of the best playoff games of all time authored by Jimmy Butler. It was a superlative performance from Jimmy Butler. And I mean started from that first quarter where he had 22 of Miami's 28 points and had an assist on one of the two baskets he didn't score and was just completely ridiculous. And when you factor in the severity of the roster situation where they don't have Tower Heroes, Butler has a lot of the responsibility on his shoulders, and the quality of the opponent. I mean, Giannis was back. We'll talk plenty about that later on. It It's a truly special, remarkable performance. Yeah, and I want to go through everything that took place, obviously, at the end of the game. But that first quarter was so massive to score. What did he score? 22 of how many points that they had in the first? 22 of 28 in the first. That's just... And, and considering how well I thought the Bucks were playing early on, it was just really great. I thought the Bucks came out with an awesome plan offensively. Like They shot pretty well from three early on. They got to the basket again. They In even games in this series, they take a ton of shots at the rim. In odd games, they don't. They were really attacking the basket. They had a great plan to run a lot of pick and rolls, get Brooke Lopez the ball under the basket with that huge catch radius and using Giannis as the ball handler. He got in foul trouble. Bam Adebayo has to sit most of the quarter. They're going to Kevin Love, Cody Zeller at center. Haywood Highsmith played 14 minutes in this game. I think all of those were in the first. He's got to guard Giannis and Jimmy just, he kept them there. I mean, it was amazing that he could score 22 in the quarter and they're still down by five, but they just stayed in contact somehow throughout the game. And the feeling that I had day was because we were sitting trying to decide where are we going to go live on this game and i was like man like the bucks are just in control they feel so incredibly in control even up to the point at which they led by 12 with six minutes left in the game and you just felt like there's no way the heat were going to be able to get enough even with this unbelievable butler performance you talk a little bit more about how it was that he was getting his points. This obviously we'll talk about the, the end of the game specifically, but just as generally, how was it that he was able to put up 
56 points. It's basically, that's the second most points in a playoff game since Michael Jordan's 63, I believe. Uh, it Donovan is. Mitchell's um, the only they're... one who's had, had more. And, and uh, MJ had 56 against the Heat, actually, in 1992 as well. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go through all of, here are all of the more than 55 points in Basketball References database in a playoff game. Okay. So you have Jordan's 63 in a double overtime game. Then you have Elgin Baylor, 61 against the Celtics in a regulation game. Donovan Mitchell's the 57 in OT in the bubble. Barkley had 56 against the Warriors. Wilt had 56 against Syracuse. And then MJ had 56 in that game you mentioned against the Heat. Jimmy Butler. I, I, I remember that Syracuse team, man. Those guys were a monster. <laughs> so, so, I mean, that means Jimmy Butler is, it's one of seven performances all time in terms of scoring. And I think, I, I'm happy that you, we talked about this on the live show that Butler got fouled a few times late and got to kind of push that number up because it's, it's special. I mean, it was special when he was in the 40s. It's just, it was that kind of game. But to push it up there and also like nine rebounds, two assists. And when you consider that he scored a vast majority of their buckets, it, it's very impressive. But yeah, you asked how how Jimmy Butler was getting those points. I mean, an important element of this is the free throw line. And some of them came late, but 15 of 18 from the line. But outside of that, it was a pretty diverse attack. He hit some big threes, had to, had some early, had some late with three of eight overall, um, but then also five of seven from mid-range, eight of nine from the upper paint, three of four in the restricted area, including some gorgeous ones. There was this pirouette, basically, where he also drew a foul. I thought the foul call was a little bit speculative on Brooke Lopez, but just an amazing play. And Yeah, I, I mean, he was going right at whoever was in front of him. And, you know, whether it was pump fakes, step throughs, like he just, he looked, he's all series, honestly. I mean, he's been the most valuable player in the playoffs so far, I think, pretty Absolutely. clearly. Uh, and maybe even arguably before this game. I, I, mean, I he's just, off the yeah. cuff, I can't remember, I can't think of who would be super close to him, though it's weird because sometimes you have a series that's a blowout and so you're not as focused on the final numbers. But, They've needed a lot from him. He has given the Heat a ton and played 41 minutes, by the way, in this game. But yeah, that mix of that mixed attack where he was getting, you know, got some big mid rangers, was able to get shots around the basket, was also at times drawing help. And even if it didn't lead directly to a Heat basket, he was involved in a lot of the good things that happened for Miami. And of course, that should not be any semblance of a surprise when you think about kind of what this roster is right now and what they need from Butler. And also, as you mentioned, like Bam Adebayo dealt with foul trouble in parts of the early portion of this game. And I mean, Bam is one of their other capable, not only creators, but like advantage See advantage maximizers and advantage creators. And so that put more on Gabe Vincent, that put more on Kyle Lowry, who I thought had some good moments in this one as well. And but Butler, he was the straw that stirred the drink the entire time. So it is interesting. It's Jimmy Butler was a very good passer, and the Bucks are a very good rim protecting team. And they make their market in part by forcing teams to shoot very poorly from two. And Butler had 56 points. He only had two assists in this game. And Miami did eventually, like they actually were shooting much better throughout most of the game. They had that big three late from Martin and had a couple other threes that ended up being twos because they had a toenail on the line. But it wasn't like some unbelievable three-point shooting performance that got Miami into it. That's what enabled them to stay in it early. But it's not like, you know, Jimmy Butler was making all these great passes and guys were missing. Like he had two assists in part due to the nature of the shots that he was taking, which are plays you're not necessarily going to help on where he's taking twos 
away from the basket. His floater game was unbelievable. And getting to the rim, obviously, he's going to get fouled a lot too. But there weren't... And when he did challenge guys at the rim, you know, he was under control. He was able to make a fake, get a step through, get a foul. He wasn't just pell-mell into Brooke Lopez or Giannis Antetokounmpo, who I thought really didn't have the defensive impact that he would have liked to have, uh, certainly in the end of this game. Although, again, like Miami was struggling pretty badly and just staying in it by making a bunch of threes early. But, uh, I mean, we'll talk about the end of the game. I'm not sure. I mean, people might see, hey, 56 points, two assists. Like, they should have brought more help. But they also were, like, defending them really well through the end of the game. And then the bludgeon happened so quickly. A lot of Butler's plays were in transition that it wouldn't have mattered what scheme you were in as well. I mean, the only thing I could point to, well, I guess we'll, we'll talk about that more at the end of the game, that uh, may one thing that the, the Bucks could have done differently. But Mike Putin knows like this is kind of his philosophy against KD. Like maybe it's no accident that some of these unbelievable games come against the Bucks because they're like, hey, we're going to just defend these guys as well as we can. And if they score, they score. We're not going to let everyone else get off. We're not going to let them get easy buckets right at the rim. We're not going to let them get a ton of offensive rebounds. Although Jimmy Butler had four offensive rebounds as well in this game. So nonetheless, like, he was able to get off in absolute memorable fashion. What what did the Heat's offensive rating, what, what did it end up being in terms of points on possessions, especially if you take away those like last three where they were fouling and, and just uh um i mean I, i'm not sure i can get i can parse out those but overall yeah, I, it was, I could probably figure it, it was out. a 115.5 overall and the the heat had a 102 it was a 102 half court offensive rating and a 147 transition offensive rating for them yeah so i think they had during the part of the game before they were fouling they had 114 points on 100 possessions so 114 offensive rating and that's while shooting 41 percent from downtown they forced 15 turnovers that was pretty good but i the the bucks did on them and it's just like jimmy it's he it's almost like at this point danny is he just like rope-a-doping during the regular season with this idea that he can't shoot because he's been so aggressive in this series and he was so aggressive even at the start of this game too like that's what i mean to keep them in it to match what the, he knew the Bucks were going to bring in that first quarter with Giannis being back, knowing they had to have this one. But it's almost like this scouting report that he can't hit shots almost like works in his favor in the playoffs sometimes. Here's one way of putting it. Jimmy Butler, over the last three seasons, or so over the last, let's do four seasons, he, per 36 minutes, which I think is the better way to do this, 2.2, 2.1, 2.2, and then this year, 1.7 threes per 36 minutes. The last four years in the playoffs, 1.9, 3.5, 3.9, 3.3. Like, that's not a huge difference, but it's a big enough difference. And he's made a pretty solid amount of those threes over the last four years. Butler has made 36% of his threes in the playoffs. And that includes uh, in the sweep in 21, where he couldn't couldn't make anything near the rates that he usually does. So, like, I, I think there's a part of that. It's the idea is that he doesn't shoot them rather than that he is bad at them. But it is definitely, like, noticeable at this point. Yeah, and Butler, it really was more his mid-range shot making in this one now i don't think anyone thinks of him being unable to make short jumpers in the paint uh yeah, but he, was he was five he was of eight, seven eight of nine in the upper paint too yeah yeah which is pretty awesome and, especially against this team and then again to go five of seven from mid-range as well and he did draw a key foul on drew holiday late contesting his mid-ranger that uh, holiday uh and the, the bucks uh they haven't had any kind of a defensive answer for him not even drew holiday one of the best guards in the nba 
And the thing that's just struck me so much about Butler, he just looks awesome physically right now. Like he's just like Drew, he's able to just jump right over Drew Holiday if he gets to his spot. Guys like, you know, a Jay Crowder, you might think, hey, going going to the season, yeah, maybe Jay Crowder could like switch on or something. No, Jimmy Butler blew by Jay Crowder so many times that they just don't even play Jay Crowder anymore. And Chris Middleton, no fucking chance. Like Chris Middleton got into foul trouble trying to guard him. They were terrified to switch him on to Butler. That's how he got a lot of the stuff late. And when Middleton did switch on, he just got totally cooked. Uh, and like he's just been beating everybody on this team. And even Giannis uh, coming back, they didn't put Giannis on him all that much. But you would hope that maybe Giannis could have done a little bit more to influence him. But Giannis also isn't great getting through a screen. And with Jimmy able to hit the mid-ranger now in a way that he didn't back in 21, the last time these teams faced off, I don't know if Giannis would have been a panacea on him either if they had set screens, particularly setting screens with guards. Uh, it would have been tough maybe for Giannis to guard him so and Giannis was coming back from the injury I don't know how much they felt like they really wanted him to be like trying to slide laterally with Butler the other thing that was crazy to me Danny Jimmy Butler was like guarding one of the best players on the Bucks the entire game man I just love American Giant just an amazing clothing company I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then I get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so I was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket even when it was cold outside and things are amazingly durable I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago I still own that same hoodie I still wear it constantly and American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen 
cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. These are our CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O, Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. His cardio, his stamina are unreal. And I mean, remember, Jimmy Butler's 33. Like, this isn't, and he'll turn 34 before the start of next season. Like, this isn't a young player. He's not the oldest player who had a memorable night tonight. But Jimmy Butler having the the capacity to shoulder this offensive burden and also be a key part of Miami's defense. Not that Miami's defense was sterling through all of this game, but Butler was a consistent positive on that end too. I mean, he, down the stretch, he's guarding Brooke Lopez. He, he did guard Giannis some and, and did a pretty decent job on him and he's guarding like bigs and fighting with them like, that's so fatiguing for a guy he's, he's like probably six six and maybe 225 or so and just the energy that he had at the end of the game i mean it was just it's incredible i want to talk more about the meat of the game though just to set up the end and just kind of how unlikely it felt because the bucks played extremely well for 42 minutes of this game early on i thought the the thing that we would be talking about most during this was was Giannis Antetokounmpo's playmaking. I thought he did a fabulous job finding the spots. The the pick and roll, particularly with Brook Lopez, was phenomenal. Giannis had 13 assists. Brook Lopez had 36 points in this game, 13 to 23 from the field. And that part, you know, maybe being a little bit hurt, being being not able to attack in the same way every possession yourself individually, allowed Giannis to explore a different element of his game. Yeah, I'm not sure whether they dialed all of this up because they didn't want to go to as much Giannis isolation, what it was that they saw. Maybe it's simply that they felt if the Heat were going to switch that Lopez is just so big rolling to the rim and Giannis has such a good passing angle that he could find Lopez. But yeah, they ran that pick and roll over and over and over again. And and also they ran it with some guards as well. They even got like quick slips to the rim for guards. I mean, this is, I would say this is easily the best passing game I've ever seen Giannis have. Like he was throwing like legit dimes to guys like right at the basket for layups or the other thing I've criticized him over the years for like not being very good at making the pass back to the top for a shooter. He found Lopez for a number of pick and pop threes out of that as well. I thought he just was fantastic as a, even down the end, he had a great pass to Lopez. And so that, that was really good. The Bucks got to the room a ton, didn't finish very well. They started seven to 15, finished 21 of 36. But again, remember in games one and three, they were had like 15 shots at the rim all game and the heat weren't really able to crash into the paint nearly as well as they had in in game three and game one bucks ended up 13 of 40 from downtown drew holiday had a nightmare offensive game maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that but the bucks were in a very extreme drop coverage the whole way even with Giannis. Giannis had some big defensive plays protecting the room early but i again you can correct me if i'm wrong here but you know i didn't really feel him a ton around the basket after that first quarter or so um 
I think that's fair overall. Yeah. I don't I, I don't have an encyclopedic memory of it, but that feels correct to me. And if you just look at the shot charts through the first half, the first three quarters, the Bucks shot chart was just so superior to Miami's. They're turning it over less, although that changed in the fourth quarter. Miami's relying a ton on Haywood Highsmith, who I like. He ended up only being negative one in the end, but he's got to come in and just, hey, welcome to the playoffs. You barely played in the regular season, and now you get to guard Giannis and he did hit one corner three he was missing a few of them i thought he screwed up a bunch of switches and communications it just i thought he had some individual defensive moments that were pretty good and that's why i I like him as a a player i mean i shouldn't call him a prospect because he's in his mid-20s already but it was just asking a lot to be relying on him at at this point in time to to guard Giannis. and you know at one point in the second they had like highsmith butler and bam all out there and that that you're just never going to get off spacing with that group so they brought love in and even love i thought he played pretty well by his standards like they started him he, he did a good job on lopez at times but it was just you know you, you just didn't feel like you know haywood highsmith kevin love like these guys are going to be enough to go toe-to-toe with like a full strength milwaukee team well i think that's a part of why you and i felt the way we did about this game throughout most of it was that miami did not everything went well but a lot of things went well for them including jimmy butler being incredible and yet the bucks are still leading pretty comfortably i mean the part that i was thinking about more was when they led they led by 13 with about nine minutes to go and then they pushed it back up to 12 the the heat had cut it down they pushed it back up to 12 with about six minutes to go and like so it it had that feel of like you know the heater they're giving it a good shot they they got it you know Giannis isn't maybe all the way there defensively but he's having a huge offensive or having a huge offensive performance particularly as a passer Lopez is putting up this ridiculous number and the Heat just don't quite have enough there and then all of a sudden the Heat are up 3-1 yeah so it's 101 to 89 after Giannis throws a beautiful alley-oop to Brooke Lopez who, who tips it in they get a fifth foul on Middleton which I think would be important down the end it was just under six minutes left to, just out on the floor he's trying to guard Duncan Robinson actually no I, I'm sorry that was a fourth foul on Middleton and still you, you got to like the Bam out of bio pull like Bam was just he's continued to really like every bucket that you get from him it's just like well I guess that one had a 40% chance of going in and this is like that one of those four out of ten <laughs> he's you know hits a free throw line jumper on Lopez he tried to dunk on Lopez a couple of times and just got completely sent back one Another of them, time, one of them yeah. bounced in and was a foul but yeah for the most part yeah that was, was the third one uh, where he went in off of one foot like someone kind of sealed Lopez off a little bit and you think okay maybe the heat have a chance here they get it back to nine just before that and then lowry throws away an inbound pass after butler got an offensive rebound on his butt and he took a timeout and then Connaughton got one free throw then bam just threw it away uh just lost the ball trying to dribble against brooke lopez and that's when lopez got that alley-oop so you just felt like man like bam oh wow yeah you're one bam pull up jump shot at a time over brooke lopez like yeah that's gonna make up this 12 point deficit in in six minutes but then like jimmy butler happened like he and yeah well jimmy butler happened and i think there's another unsung or less sung deserving hero of this final stretch and it was particularly the four and three minute section and that was caleb martin and so not only did caleb martin hit it was two out of three shots because there was a a, a wild steal play in between but martin Martin hits, he hits a, a, a shot 
which which we both thought was a terrible aggressive attempt was um we got basically right over Giannis and it was a ended up being a deep two not a three and then Jimmy Butler passed it to Martin for a clean three that pushed it from a two-point deficit to a one-point lead that was the first time no sorry that was the second time during the stretch that they had the lead because Butler got it the first time in a, a very weird play where Martin makes that jump shot over Giannis which you mentioned and then I think they were just still showing the highlight and all of a sudden the Bucks are losing the ball was a I think Giannis and and Drew Holiday kind of got a little bit tied up well, with each well, other. Well, so what what happened was I went back and rewatched it as they cut away. Giannis was trying to just cross half court with the ball like in the center of the floor and call the use it or lose it timeout and he got it stripped before he could call the timeout and that's how that butler dunk uh happened that gave him the lead i mean and that all happened incredibly fast right it's 101 89 and butler hits the bam hits that shot butler hits a pull up in transition Connaughton rattles the corner three in and out another like really nice pick and roll play by the bucks uh butler just blows by middleton and gets the and one uh, in that matchup like there was no help at the rim whatsoever uh, on that play i mean i think they really didn't load enough to him they had guys on the opposite side of the lane they never like kind of brought another guy over into the strong side zone when they're running these pick and rolls at middleton and so they take out content they bring in grayson allen at this point kyle lowry strips drew holiday i thought lowry also played really good defense down the end martin makes two free throws and i mean that's three possessions and they just scored seven points and, and it was also like yeah. you you brought up how it was the immediacy of the possessions it was also because there weren't really any stoppages other than the martin free throws it was fast chronologically too just like you know kind of the equivalent of as the crow flies like it wasn't even it, it was it was jarring in that as well i mean we had a problem like we got we got into the broadcast a little later than we thought because it just happened so quickly yeah jimmy misses a three after Giannis missed a hook shot coming across the lane defended by Jimmy Butler by the way on Giannis and Martin I think he isn't that the the offensive rebound where he ran like completely from one side of the floor to the other I believe it was yeah and then he hits like a jab stepped 21 footer from the corner on Giannis with like six on the shot clock after the offensive rebound uh yeah and then Butler so that gets it to two and then before you can blink and Budenholzer gets his Uioli which uh Eric Name wrote a a great piece on, on that before the playoffs started they steal it and Butler gets a dunk and the heat are up by one but like the Bucks actually it looked like they were going to respond for a short time like they they actually took the lead three separate times after this they They did most mostly driven mostly driven by Giannis there was one where he got a got a layup and Bam fouled him and Giannis made the free throw that that was a great ATO by the way by Budenholzer because he knew that the scouting report is don't guard Giannis at the arc so they set up a pick and roll on the opposite side of the floor get middle Bam helps to the nail off of Giannis and then Giannis gets a go and catch from the right wing and gets the and one on Bam because Bam kind of helped off of him a little bit it was all I think that was all set up intentionally to get Giannis to drive it was really like excellent just to like know what the heat defense was going to do and take advantage of it um so then butler drives out of that pick and roll again this time they do help a lot he kicks out to caleb martin again and caleb martin like uh they had a a pretty good i think it was duncan robinson in the the right corner so the guy stunted off a robinson 
might have been Grayson Allen. And Connaughton pass fakes him back. Or I'm sorry, uh, uh, Caleb Martin pass fakes him back and just like drains another three. I mean, those like so many of these Heat players were just having like out of body experiences during this period. So that was huge. Puts the Bucks up or, or down one. And then Drew comes right back and makes an insane step back three after like Chris Middleton got stuck and like kind of threw this lob pass up to him. That was like one of Drew's uh, only shots of the game. He was six and 19. And then Lowry throws it away looking for Duncan Robinson. And you're like, man, like that's maybe like the Bucks have kind of restored order here. And Middleton actually had a three that was a pretty good look against a drop coverage in pick and roll that could have put him up by five. And then I thought that this two biggest plays of the game one was butler getting fouled by drew holiday with a minute 42 left after they they're trying to avoid switching that Giannis drew pick and roll or i'm sorry jesus man i it's really late i need to actually identify people properly the middleton and drew defending the pick and roll butler bringing lowry into it defended by middleton and they didn't want to switch that so drew kind of goes under the screen does a good job getting through it but butler just rises up over and drew's so worried about the jumper because he's been making everything that he gets him in the elbow two free throws ties at 107 Giannis has another beautiful pick and roll pass to lopez for a dunk and you could jimmy was like yelling at bam because bam didn't switch and get inside of lopez to take that away and then butler comes down and they go under on the pick and roll and he just makes the biggest shot of the game a, a three to put him up by one and that ended up being the lead they never relinquished yeah exactly yeah though, Giannis, though it didn't feel yeah. that it didn't feel that way at the time necessarily i mean Giannis got Giannis got a hook shot that didn't fall and then and, jimmy yeah, butler butler guarding him again yeah and then butler off the rebound takes a takes a step back and drills that and then even then you know they they spend this run Miami still only up three Milwaukee has the ball with a little less than a minute left and then yeah, that was he thought that was a three I mean it was his toe was on the line yeah it was, it was yeah ball. but but just barely on the line like how in the zone do you have to be at that point to take that shot I, I mean it was it obviously took a similar one in that Celtics game but this one they're up one to just push the ball up and just like yeah I'm gonna take a step back against Drew Holiday with 15 on the shot clock maybe more than that and just like drain it and then Lowry got another steal on Drew Holiday. Well, and th- this think, was yeah, the play was where Martin, Giannis, right? Giannis passed it to Drew Holiday, and Holiday didn't appear to be ready for it. It just kind of bounced off of him. Lowry Lowry gets it and then feeds the ball up the court. And then th- at that point, you're like, oh, this might be over. And then they foul. They foul. Middleton fouls Butler, which fouls Middleton out of the game. Yeah, I thought and, that was a questionable call. Yeah, that was probably the weakest of the calls in this stretch. And Butler makes those two free throws. They go up five. And yeah, like Milwaukee did at one point, it, they, they cut it to four. And then they were down five and actually still had, I believe they still had a timeout left at that point, but then didn't didn't advance the ball. But like, I mean, you're down five with eight, eight seconds to go. Like, it's, it's very difficult to win that, even if you do it perfectly. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Yeah, so I, I mean, this is up there with some of the best playoff games by Jimmy Butler that I can ever remember. Uh, staff I mean, game it, four it's, last it's up year. there with some of the best performances of this of this decade, this millennium, in terms of for for me, like it, it was spectacular. No, I mean, I the, the, I just want to go through some of the games on that list again, like because I, I like to remember those and, and put this officially up there in that group. I mean, I realize that this is a, a first round series, but like they are overmatched. But but not series. it's a first round series against the number a number yeah. one seed who in yeah. this game had their best players available and who like one of their biggest strengths is defending the paint. And Jimmy Butler, I mean, he did hit a couple of threes in this one, but he, they needed everything from him and he gave them everything. So if we're talking about best games, let's do best games since 2000. Like if we, even if we want to go to yeah. 2000. I, I mean, yeah, we can even do like the the dunked on era when we've been like really breaking these down. Sure. So that's been like 2015. You know, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, here, uh, try to go in like reverse chronological order here. I would say Steph's game four last year against Boston. LeBron, ha- LeBron had a couple in the 2016 finals. Yeah. J- uh, you're messing up my chronological Sorry. order here. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I was I'm living in 2022 still. Uh, Jimmy's game six last year against Boston was sure. pretty close uh, to this level, and, and I mean they were already down three two at that point. And I don't think there are any other ones that come to mind. Like the the KD game five against the Nets in 2021 would be up there. Giannis in game six against Phoenix in 2021 would be up there. I would put, let's see. Tatum's 50 against the Nets was a memorable one, but I don't know if that's in this. I don't know if they given the Well, game yeah, that was that was in a like, help series they lost. Yeah, one, exactly. Right? And like, for um, example, we haven't mentioned like Jamal Murray and Damian Lillard, two of the highest scoring games, but given the context, those weren't the same, or, or, or Donovan Mitchell's, like those were a different thing. They're great. It's just kind of a different thing. Well, and particularly because this was such a great two-way performance also like bubble gets like a little bit of an asterisk for me i I would say and like also neither of those teams had a prayer of defending the other sure (laughs) that wasn't like the milwaukee bucks defense uh, that they were going against um yeah i mean lillard is 55 although they lost that game right so it's just it's tough to put it on that same level if they lost and he did kind of flame out in the double overtime even though like some of the shots that he made were unbelievable in that game again that's not really against like a good defense though it's not a two-way performance and they lost in that one so it it can't be on the same level i don't think oh by the way i'm not saying game score is the best way to evaluate these things three of the five highest game scores during a playoff games during the dunked on era came in losses lillard jamal murray his 50 point game and donovan mitchell's 57 point game were all in losses that's remarkable um i would have Let's see. Kawhi in 2019, game four against the Sixers. And that statistically wasn't the same, but it was just, it was another one of these, like, nothing is going right. I'm going to just will this team. I mean, if you want to add in the two-way impact, I would say Kawhi's, Kawhi's, the ending of that series, against, the second series against the Mavericks is up there too. Yes. Oh, thank you. I was thinking of that and I forgot about it in 21. Yeah, the, the uh, game six on the road. That they won down three two, my favorite circumstance. Um, we we have a couple opportunities where that might happen again this year. <laughs> or at least he will have the chance. 
Oh yeah. Well, I, I do have a, I do have a question I want to ask you at the end of this that, that kind of gets to that point. And then 17, I don't know that there were like that. It almost like wasn't a competitive enough playoffs that year to, to have any amazing games. Like nothing really stands out from that. Like there was like the Warriors and Cavs were just so dominant in those playoffs that nothing really stands out to me that much. And 16 was obviously ridiculous. Uh, LeBron and Kyrie in game five, LeBron in game game six. I don't know if I can quite put game seven on that level. I think it was like nine to 24 or something like that. Obviously, it was great on defense. And Clay Thompson in that game six. KD had a huge 40 down 2-1 in the second round against the Spurs and Danny Green and Tim Duncan and Kawhi Leonard and all those. That, that was a huge game. I, actually, I mean, I would... Not quite on that level, but Steph Curry's Game 7 against the Thunder in 2016 is always an underrated great game to me. Um, Yeah, there's been a lot of great games. This one this one is up there. I, if they don't win the series, which they're favorites to do, of course, maybe it'll mean less. And it's going to take... They're going to have to play a great game, I think, to win again. They've, they've played three great games in this series. Like, they are playing really i mean i don't know if they overall as a team played that well in this game but butler was amazing and i thought as a team they played great in games one and three like you can't take much away from them. they've been doing it without tyler hero for basically the entire series anything else on this one we've mentioned it a couple times but i, I mean it, it again would have been a greater point of emphasis if the bucks had won but brooke lopez 36 points 11 rebounds three blocks two steals including a banked three during that late point when very little was going right for the Bucks offensively on a play that he probably was fouled before the shot. So it ended up netting plus one for the Bucks. I'm trying to remember Budenholzer, Budenholzer's challenge. I, I, oh, I no. That, it, well, it was the the one where Giannis like crashed through the body of Haywood Highsmith. Oh, that's right. And I was shocked that he won that challenge. Like, just floored that he won that challenge. I, you know, I know some people like Bob was, uh, Bob Bulgaros on Twitter was saying like, no, he didn't crash through his body. I'm like, like how, how could you possibly have like more body contact to follow? Like, yeah, he got him clean up top, but he just like sent him flying into the stanchion. Like, it wasn't, it was... I said it was A to B on Twitter. It was, probably, it was more like A to D. I mean, he really, like, it's one thing if there's body contact in your vertical, but he just, like, went, just crashed right through him to block the shot. Like, I was just shocked that that got overturned. I mean, maybe it's one of those ones where, like, ah, you know, like, you got to clean up top. We don't necessarily want to call these ones. Like, it's, but, like, I mean, I, how it could, like, technically not be a foul, I have no idea. I mean, it probably should be a foul anyway. But that, I mean, that would have been Giannis's third. It could have been big, but as it turned out, Miami won anyway. So, so now to go, the game. Yeah. 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 Where do we go from here? And <laughs> it's, I mean, we got asked a lot, part of the fun thing about doing playback, about like the Bucks' chances of winning the series. And they played well enough for the most part to win this game. Not only the superhuman effort from Jimmy Butler, but Miami, you know, Miami hit 40.6% of the threes. They were 13 to 32 and got to the line more than the Bucks did, though that was earned by Jimmy Butler. And so, like, I think you could make an argument that at bare minimum, like, the Bucks sh- should be health-permitting, heavy favorites in their home games. Like, I think even Heat partisans would, would concede to that, that if Giannis is available, they're, they're favorites there. But the fact of the matter is winning three straight games is extremely difficult. And the Heat are, to me, significant favorites moving forward, even if winning like the bucks winning in individual game is totally reasonable if not the more likely outcome yeah let's save this actually until the end because i I do have a question that kind of touches on this like uh, on this likelihood a a little bit more Uh, let's talk lakers and gris okay i mean i just again i want to talk about the end of this game because it was crazy in both regulation and in the overtime 
but just I mean this this was a proper game four throughout and the Lakers did lead it 53 to 38 at one point in the first the Grizz fought back to make it 54 52 by halftime just the level of intensity and exhaustion in this game and just how physical it is what a battle it is just these incredibly strong athletic interior players going up against one another and just how hard it is to get a rebound to get a finish at the rim and the Grizz were 22 of 41 at the rim in this game and like these teams that they can't shoot we damn well know that so they are just attacking and attacking and attacking and they don't really have hardly any one-on-one matchups they can go at those to the extent they exist are there's basically one guy on each team that the other team feels that they can attack it's Ja or Luke Kennard who rarely play together Tyus Jones and then it's basically just D'Angelo Russell is the only guy on the Lakers and so they're just this has been a series where it just felt like every single bucket was trying to take blood from a stone and one of the stones that unfortunately for Memphis produced the least blood I guess is the way that you would phrase that is the corner three and I mean it was so striking during this game you know we're calling it and Memphis some of them were tough some of them were well contested but Memphis overall they were an astonishing two of 17 on corner threes and some of those big were big misses late and like I mean part of part of the fun of covering of watching of playing presumably I don't get to do that high level basketball in in this the, with these kinds of stakes is how much these games can resonate and how much differing different things can we watch oh speaking of that we didn't mention one of the other like small things that's that ended up mattering in bucks heat was the transition take foul that joe Ingles did oh yeah no it warmed my heart to see him called for that yeah and then Dilo did one that actually got upgraded to a a, a clear path in this game but it yeah it was great so- to see maybe the the two guys who committed the absolute most take fouls in transition in the league last year, just not be able to help themselves. Like Joe Ingles has committed like six or seven this year. It's crazy. Like he just can't stop himself. And so how that all kind of ties in for me with Memphis is you have this duality where I give them immense credit for coming back in this game. They had a big, I believe it was 14 to one run to tighten things up. They didn't actually take the lead before halftime, but they got it close. And then, and then they ended up, you know, having the lead early in the second half. And so they played at times well enough to win and like a, a big rebound starting with the second quarter and continuing for Desmond Bain, who had a rough start. And so like there were elements of this that Memphis played well enough to win. Like they absolutely could have won this game. You could make an easy argument that they should have won this game. And I don't want to go so far as to say that it will haunt them, but I think it could. And the reason why is because you don't get that many chances. I know we're all optimistic about where the Grizzlies can be moving forward. They have these exciting young players and everything else. And I hope that John, Jaron, and even their players who aren't healthy right now are, are healthy for the rest of their careers. But you need to make the most of each opportunity. And there were reasons why we'll get into some of it. But if they had won this game, the Memphis Grizzlies would be in significantly better position to advance this series. And if they advance in this series, they have at bare minimum a puncher's chance, but probably much better than that in the next round. Yeah, making it to the conference finals. And when you say 
better chance, you mean relative to the Lakers. Like they would have been the favorites in the series had Absolutely. they won. Yeah, obviously, anytime you can win a game in a series, it gives you a better chance. But yeah, I mean, they would have been the favorites in the series. And now they're significant out. underdogs. Yeah, by the way, you mentioned the two of 17 corner threes. Like one of them happened at the very end once the game was already decided. So they really, in reality, they were one of 16 during the competitive portion of the game on corner threes. And yeah, I mean, Roddy, Desmond Bain was 0 for 5 in corner threes. Now, a few of his were kind of more on the move, a little more difficult. But yeah, it was insane how many of them they missed. And by by the way, do you yeah. know who hit who hit that one corner three? <sighs> Who hit the one corner three? Because you asked me now, I'm like, now I'm going for like the trivia answer. I think it was Roddy. It was Roddy. Kennard hit the one late that you referenced, but Roddy is the one who hit the one earlier. I don't recall exactly when it happened, but it did happen. And the other thing that kind of made this a proper playoff game was just like guys really battling through injuries. AD injured his hip but on a drive and transition in the seconds and it led to actually uh, another transition take foul. There was a clear path that was intentionally given and there was a transition take foul because ad was down and there's no rule that just stops the game when someone is hurt so the the, yeah if there's a stoppage they'll stop the game but the grizz like there's no legal way to just like stop the grizz from going forward because if you otherwise like guys could just like go down and pretend to be injured and stop a fast break anytime so you, you can't have that rule so they but yeah ad was really struggling chris haynes reported that he was just like off by himself shaking his head but uh, like he gave them just enough at the end we'll, we'll obviously go through all the key possessions at the end of the game jaw fell on the hand again like he was really struggling early in the second half but i like i'll give him a ton of credit he just continued to attack and got a rough whistle i thought on a couple of those lebron charges uh, uh, Le- a, LeBron, number of, a number of number of grizzlies did but yeah those were some of the some of the bigger ones and just on a, on a brief point on that john moran is a very hard guy to officiate because he's so fast but the snapshots i think that refs are supposed to do in those actions like they get them completely wrong when it involves like the some of the faster players in the league like yeah like Giannis and jaw and all that and so like LeBron was like clearly late on, especially on the first one. The second one was closer. And yeah, the first one, I thought he wasn't in his path and he was still moving forward to try to get out of the restricted area. And that's, he sent him absolutely flying. And, and Morant made that shot. And yeah, I mean, oh, that was a huge way, play. That was also Taylor Jenkins used his challenge in a, I mean, I, I vehemently disagreed with it at the time. That's the beauty of doing these things live. We, we you could theoretically watch it. So it was a play that it was it was like a kind of like an early half court pass and it went out of bounds. And it now the, the way it ended up being adjudicated was a little bit bizarre. They looked at it for what felt like 10 minutes, but was probably actually like four. And they basically couldn't overturn the call because it wasn't clear whether Xavier Tillman touched it or not. BP added more than 70 billion dollars to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. 
Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. They just didn't have a good enough camera angle. But, That's actually a good a good thing for coaches me to remember is that you if something happens at midcourt, you're kind of less likely to have a good angle on it as opposed to if it happens closer to the baseline because there just isn't you don't really have like a great camera there. Um but I mean I I you know if you had to say, hey, is it more likely than not that he didn't touch it? Like, yeah, sure, more likely than not, but they just it was too blurry, like the camera was moving, you there just wasn't like the one angle that would have showed whether the spin on the ball changed from him touching it right as he right as he touches it like the ball goes behind Troy Brown and you can't see it so it's just I mean I thought that was the right call like they, they said there wasn't conclusive evidence to overturn I agreed but it also just seemed like like yeah I'm all for going for like the certain obvious challenge but I think it just it was more about the upside well yeah not exactly, being because all that it would have changed is who had the ball on an on a sideline out of bounds like it was not it didn't put points on the board take points off the board put a foul on the board take a foul off the board and that's that's not beneficial enough i I don't think that's beneficial enough to to warrant using one that early and part of there are circumstances and i mean I, i i think that coaches sometimes are too reluctant to use a challenge early because you only get one but this was not the right iteration and then and uh jenkins admitted that i believe chris harrington asked him about it after the game and jenkins said it was like you did a bad job challenging that play and the Morant one i mean that's not only is it points on and off the board it's a foul on lebron james not that lebron james fouls out of playoff games very often but all i mean and it would have been at least two potentially three points there and and not a foul on on Ja, who ended up with three himself and so you you know picking your spots is valuable there uh but i think the place that i want to turn our focus is part of the reason why i think we both enjoy game fours is that the series even if there have been player availability issues as there have been in this one You've had enough of a sample to kind of clarify certain elements of a series. And so this is we're in more counterpunch territory or like, you know, the, the, the secondary tertiary plans. And one of those that was so fascinating is Dylan Brooks hasn't done as good a job on LeBron James as certainly he hoped and that the Grizzlies hoped. But there is somebody on the Grizzlies who I think has done a pretty good job, and that's Xavier Tillman. And Xavier Tillman was the primary defender of, on LeBron down the stretch. He, they did a lot of really interesting stuff. We're not going to go possession by possession, at least right now. But finding those sorts of things, I brought up previously in the series that the non-Brookses did a better job, and now I'll specifically praise Xavier Tillman for that during the meat of this game. Yeah, they're really... LeBron had some brilliant heroics late, but for probably about 45 minutes of this game, he had nothing to the point where he's just like standing off the ball. They're running. He was their third through, option. Like, like Schroeder. And I mean, now the Reeves pick and roll had worked at times before, but it's like they're running stuff through Schroeder. They tried D'Lo some also, and D'Lo had that huge stretch, which we'll talk about. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was cr- And you know, you could just feel that every effort by LeBron, he just had to meet it out so carefully. And he he had just enough at the end, but he just was, uh, even then, even when he would try to drive, he wasn't really able to get by Tillman, Jaron Jackson switching onto him. Like, that's certainly no better. And I think even Brooks, he's, maybe you could post him up a little bit, or if Brooks is really going to pressure him, 
which I don't think is the right approach against LeBron because he doesn't really change direction very well anymore, but he can go really fast in a straight line. So if you pressure him, he can just go hard in one direction and you know he's still going to be pretty fast there. Like that when he got the and one at the end, like that was kind of what happened. But you know, Dylan Brooks, he doesn't have long arms, so he's not really comfortable kind of just backing off and challenging. And LeBron's jumper is you know very hit or miss, mostly missed this season. So, but it was just, again, pretty remarkable. And then AD also, like they, Memphis had a lot of success switching pick and rolls involving AD and then just fronting him with bigger players and making it difficult to get in. And then AD kind of seemed like he wasn't really trying to create any offense after he, he suffered this hip issue. Now, Stan Van Gundy was talking about this a lot on the broadcast, and I completely agreed as we were doing it. We talked on the last program about how that double pick and roll with the second guy usually involving whoever's being guarded by John Morant to kind of make him step out and then slam them into another screen or they would do the stagger where they would have AD set the first screen and then it would be a Schroeder or, or D'Lo or, or Reeves setting the second screen to involve Morant again I and mean, they got pretty good stuff out of that in the first half they got amazing stuff out of it in game three when D'Lo ran into perfection we talked about that in the last program as they got out to that crazy 35 to nine lead so they didn't really go back to that very much in the second half they just were kind of running the time down they tried to get lebron with jaw involved in pick and roll and weren't getting much out of that they're again i mean i i've the lakers got just enough but i think my expressed concerns about the lakers crunch time offense have largely come through i mean they're just dribbling the time down to five seconds and then just like trying to make a play at the end because they're all so tired it's crazy it puts a lot of pressure on getting those 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 late early actions right and they ended up working out more towards the end i also thought that a couple other kind of smaller notes from the from the earlier part of the game yeah yeah jared vanderbilt hit two threes early um ended up two of five but I the, mean, those... the, i've never it, it might be the most brazen not guarding of someone that i've like ever seen like they were they would have like the ball at the top of the key vanderbilt would be in the right corner and jaron would be like on the left side of the lane like double teaming ad off the ball under the basket <laughs> like that like he's he's uh literally 30 feet away from the guy 22 feet to the corner and then another eight feet out to the side of the lane like that that's how far away he was and and I think it largely worked. They didn't really go back to Vando late. He scored well. He had a couple offensive rounds. He hit a couple of those threes, but I think there was an understanding that they just weren't going to be able to score well enough, even if he did hit a couple. Like they weren't going to just throw it to him there every time. They were hoping he hit a couple and keep him honest, but they didn't really get him out of that strategy. I also didn't think it was the greatest Austin Reeves performance. He was a very adept foul drawer. Some of the less favorable whistles for the Grizzlies were on Austin Reeves plays, um, but he did have a he did have a couple, and the, and the the Lakers did lean on him a little bit during some of the stretches. He also battled some foul trouble, which I thought changed the Lakers rotations a bit. And a more modest game from Marie Hachimura, some good defense from Dennis Schroeder, who was really trying to get through actions, trying to blow some stuff up. And I thought he did. Yeah, I thought well he was really good on John. I thought Ja looked kind of weirdly unengaged throughout a lot of the game he was six to ten from three last game shockingly that didn't continue did he go one of six uh he only had 19 points on 
26 shooting possessions. So really rough game for him. Four turnovers, seven assists. And uh, I, I thought he held up reasonably well defensively uh, mm-hmm. with a couple of exceptions. Again, not that this was like that these actions were the hardest thing in the world to defend when it's like Dennis Schroeder is the role man <laughs> on a lot of these plays. Uh, but yeah, I thought Schroeder, his pressure defensively really just made Ja work and kind of took him out of the game at times. And particularly because they were trying to run a lot through Bain. But I, I, I was, it definitely kind of showed to me a little bit that, uh, and also Ja fell on the hand again in the third quarter but it showed to me that there was a little bit of playing the score involved in that 45.13 assists that he had in game three what did you think of jaron jackson jr's game overall five of 15 obviously he plays for the grizzlies so he couldn't hit a three he did have six offensive boards by the way both teams under 30 percent again from three in this one <laughs> yeah the grizz were nine of 42 but i like i mean just the fact that they like 16 corner threes is a massive number of corner threes to get that's the league's worst defense usually gives up about 10 a game in that category. Yeah, I thought Jackson obviously was a huge part of why this was such a defensive game, but I just I wanted to see a little bit more from him offensively. And he wasn't, they didn't really use him to go at LeBron or Hachimura. Like there, there just wasn't, given some of their offensive struggles, you would have thought maybe they'd go to him a little bit more. But the Grizz don't have amazing spacing either. Like they weren't hitting shots. So that makes it harder on Jaron. And I don't know that they trust him to necessarily distribute that. I mean, he did have five blocks and the the confrontation with him at the rim with the lakers in the last few minutes of the game i mean that those were just titanic battles and and the lakers didn't have a super high offensive rebound game in this one so like that part of it wasn't i thought the grizzlies i I thought it was more of a team effort than jaron doing a lot better but it was an important difference tillman did a nice job on the defensive glass yeah the that's what kept the grizz in it in the first half although down the stretch it was the lakers who got the most out of their offensive rebounds Oh, oh, oh yes Another thing, a stretch that was pretty big, the Lakers just got a lot of bullshit free throws in this game. And part of that was just stupid Grizz fouls. You know, Dylan Brooks gets two fouls in the first quarter, neither of them defending his primary guy, just like dumb loose ball fouls. Dennis Schroeder got four free throw attempts out of the rip move. Like you're that concerned about Dennis Schroeder, you can't keep your hands off of him. And Reeves got a couple that were a little bit questionable as well. Like I thought there was one play where he, it should have been a no call because he kind of made a non-basketball move going sideways into his defender who was trying to get around him after he was trying to put him in jail in the pick and roll. Meanwhile, I thought the Grizz did a decent job of trying to attack some of the weaker Lakers defenders at times. But, I mean, you can only do that so much. It, like, the defense is going to load to you. Like, you have to change up your attack at least some. And they found some okay ways to do that. But let's pick it up with D'Angelo Russell. Oh, wait. Who, what, what yeah. weird, one okay. weird way, and it's going to tie in with the guy name you just mentioned. There were a series of possessions where John Morant had D'Angelo Russell on him and they that wasn't they didn't just like instinctually isolate beat beat him get to his spot and make something happen they would sometimes they would like be trying to send out the screen or do something else that that was bizarre but despite all that the Grizz lead by seven with five minutes left 97 90 and that was that, that was that big shot by Bain that, that put them up seven yeah and Bain was their best offensive option mostly from two he obviously struggled to three of 12 from downtown 10 of 17 from two though 
And there are a couple of possessions in a row where Jaron Jackson is guarding D'Angelo Russell on a switch. The first time he helps onto Reeves, I thought really just a little bit too aggressively from the top of the key as Reeves drove in from the right side and like really just put his whole body in front of him and gave up the easy pass to D'Lo for a three. Then D'Lo actually gets him... uh, is just off the dribble gets the switch on Jackson and I thought again Jackson just not quite intentional enough with who he was guarding because D'Lo is not gonna blow by Jaron Jackson Jackson just kind of relaxed had his hands down wasn't really putting enough pressure on the ball and D'Lo just shot it over him and then after another stop they come down and transition and LeBron you thought oh man this is gonna be LeBron freight train in transition he swings the ball left side of Reeves knowing that they wanted to get it to Russell who was hot and Russell hits another one on the left wing so three straight threes to go from down seven to up two and that was of course the biggest stretch of the game to be down seven with five minutes left like your win expectancy is not good and just to erase that in the space of three possessions was incredible for the lakers there were also a couple of grizzlies fouls not that they were shooting fouls in that intervening time which didn't really make too much of a difference in the outcome i just wanted to mention it then russell after he made those shots and and you know and and that was and that was a huge stretch for him got a got a little bit big for his bridges took a couple of aggressive shots but the 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 Grizzlies ended up not converting on that. There was a long stretch from when Desmond Bain made from when Desmond Bain made that shot with 513 until 145. So from 513 to 145, the Grizzlies got a total of two points, and that was a step back that Desmond Bain hit. And all the, every single other possession was fruitless. A couple of offensive fouls, a couple of turnovers, just just not not great offense from the Grizzlies overall. Yeah, and I mean, you could Anthony Davis for as impotent as he was throughout most of the game on the offensive end was fantastic. He just patrolled the paint. I mentioned that crazy, terrible shooting number at the basket for the Grizzlies, the 22 of 41. And a lot of that, of course, uh, was Anthony Davis being being in position. And I thought LeBron was pretty good as a help defender most of the time in this game. Rui even had a couple of good contests in the overtime. Uh, when they tried to kind of go at him once Russell fouled out. And one of the few nice plays that the Grizz had during this stretch was they had Brooks, who they're hiding Russell on Brooks. He had five fouls. They swung it to Bain's side after starting the action on, on the left side of the floor. Bain gets a step-up screen from Brooks, and that had him going downhill against D'Lo, and D'Lo fouled him to, to foul himself out of the game. Bain hit a couple of free throws, and that put Memphis up by one. Then Jaron Jackson had a huge block on Dennis Schroeder's drive out of that LeBron Schroeder pick-and-roll. Rui missed a pretty open three off of LeBron actually well, got late clock, got a pretty good uh yeah, sorry, what were you gonna say? Well, I was gonna mention that was I, I believe in this stretch that we've been talking about, that was the third offensive rebound that the Lakers got. It ended up only producing a split of Anthony Davis free throws. That was the only points that they got out of it, but it extended the Grizzlies, it, it cha- changed the number of possessions and everything else. Yeah, that was that was shortly before this uh, that the uh the two Bane free throws that Davis got that to put the Lakers up one and it, it was John Morant's like Davis goes down off the first offensive rebound. They missed a couple of D'Lo, I think missed two three pointers in a row. 
and Anthony Davis is on the ground. John Morant standing under the basket. Davis gets up. John just never moves, and Davis goes right in front of him. And yeah, all right, I get it. It's John Morant against Anthony Davis, but you have to at least try to box him out, right? Maybe you could get an over the back foul. Maybe you just get enough of a piece of him that he isn't going to be able to put that back. And yeah, Davis was awesome on the offensive glass in the last few minutes and overtime. After that, Rui missed. LeBron did get a nice drive late clock to collapse the defense and set that up but the remiss wasn't close and Ja attacked Rui in the pick and roll got to the basket only made one of two free throws though and that could have put him up three only up two huge Austin Reeves drive off a Rui Hachimura assist that but that again was LeBron summoning the will to attack from somewhere because he was so exhausted he they ran that LeBron shooter pick and roll to involve Ja and LeBron actually split the pick and roll got a, a nice crossover against Ja force help kicked out to Hachimura and then Reeves had a nice drive from the right and that was I was very surprised because they were just putting AD in the corner a lot of times and so that's where Jaron was able to get a lot of this help but he didn't help on that Reeves drive at all Reeves just beautifully stepped around Bain and laid it in to tie it that was just a huge play Ja goes for the two for one misses a wild layup he missed a couple of wild layups down the stretch and then the Lakers like went pretty slowly they maybe could have called timeout when they got the defensive rebound there to try to get a two for one with the game tied instead. Yeah, because it was it was about yeah. thirty three seconds when LeBron grabbed the rebound. Then I think Ja was on Hachimura and Hachimura sets the screen. LeBron ha- sends him down the lane with a pass, and Jaron Jackson just. I mean, that block just about went through the Staples Center floor. He blocked his dunk attempts. So I I can't remember the last time I've seen like a dunk just get blocked into the ground that hard. And then the Grizzlies go out and run. Remember, this is a tie game. And I didn't even think of it at the time. Somebody mentioned it in the comments after the fact that technically speaking, the Grizzlies had the ball with the shot clock on. Like they could have just waited. Um, And mathematically, that is the proper thing to do, actually. Um, because you uh, I mean, if you have that easy of a two pointer, I I would dis- I don't I don't think that that if you have a guaranteed two. Yeah, well, it, I wouldn't say it was a guaranteed two, and, and especially quite, with quite under nice ten seconds to go. Morant. I knew it was yeah. a two on one. Like it, it was. It was yeah, there with ten seconds left, you have a chance to push it after that block. Like you, you're yeah. not going to just. I, stop I think you're getting up. you're getting a significantly better look that way. It's it's at at bare minimum completely defensible. I'd be interested in somebody who's smarter than I am running through all that. If we like, even if we give it like an eighty five or a ninety percent chance of going in, I think that would be more than enough to swing it. Where you're, especially like because you're you are you are putting some downside on the board, but you're also putting up a number that the other team has to deal with. So well, just. Brand, just think of think of that uh, the article that Seth wrote today for us, which yep. uh, you can get it in your email on a daily basis as a dunked on Prime subscriber. That basically you're looking at like just around thirty percent shooting or so on shots to tie or take the lead. Right, and and, and yeah. so so Jaws running hard, and this time the the context here is that it, LeBron wasn't the one who was back, but it was you know that he already been called twice for offensive fouls, even if you and I didn't agree with the call either time and Morant draws the attention of the defender and makes a gorgeous pass to Desmond Bain who is pretty much uncontested for the layup and so that gives the Grizzlies a two-point lead with 6.7 to go 
yeah, left-handed behind the back pass. He had a couple of just amazing passes. He had one in the overtime. He had a lefty behind the back pass almost immediately after he came back from the right-hand injury. Oh, yeah, the one to Tillman for the dunk. That one was sick. And then he had another one to Bain for yet another missed wide-open corner three by the Grizzlies in the overtime. So no defensive substitutions, no offensive substitutions for either team. And it was Tillman on LeBron, and they just ISOed LeBron, basically, and he did not try to go for the step back. We were saying maybe they should try to go for the three because it seemed like they were totally out of gas. It seemed like the Grizz were the fresher team. But just I thought Tillman was maybe thinking about the fact that LeBron likes to step back left and wasn't ready for just a hard right-handed attack. And also he knew, of course, that he had the best rim protector in the NBA waiting at the basket. And LeBron, I mean, he's he's not a guy who's known for like his beautiful touch finishes. And that must have hit like six inches above the square, maybe even higher than that. Like about as high as you could make that shot hit the backboard and still go in. And Jaron still almost got it with that devastating left hand. And somehow he dropped it in over him. It was just an unbelievable shot by LeBron. And and just he, again, he's doing it on guile and just anything that he could muster at this point. It's not anywhere near the same level of domination as early in his career, and particularly with this injury. But he still managed to get it done with just an awesome game-tying shot and it adds to his playoff buzzer beater that there was a point eight left grizzlies got it into jai got blocked right at the free throw line by davis oh and then remember what happened after that lebron after actually that. tried to heave and made it but it was oh. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean uh, yeah the, it was so late i but uh yeah that was pretty crazy like he's that was he was he knew it was they'll say the pressure was off at that point because he knew for sure it was it was too late the overtime i'd forgotten about this play until i rewatched it where the grizzlies get a steal and i think job might have like dribbled off of someone's foot as he was trying to put it down shooter was on the ground the ball just rolled right back down court to yeah, him it was basically the first play of overtime yeah and ad it's like a ridiculous twisting layup over Jaron. Another just like lofted up over for another guy that you're not like, oh man, he's got things like incredibly crafty, like touch finishes or over shot blockers. So that was a really memorable play in overtime. Ja again had like a couple of misses at the rim where he just was like a little bit out of control. LeBron also had like another hard right-handed drive against Jaron Jackson Jr. and beat him to score. Uh, had a beautiful pass to AD ducking in on Jaron as well. Like that's always a nice thing to do against a guy who's a really good help defender. And AD had been hanging out in the corner so long that like that duck in really surprised Jaron and, and LeBron threw a beautiful pass to him for a foul there ad had a great tip in as well i think that was actually after lebron drove on jaron and missed and ad had this like left-handed tip in as he was getting shoved under the basket and sorry yeah i'm, I'm wrong about that yeah lebron actually made that shot on jaron that was after a shooter miss that ad got that tip in so three-point game ja has a chance for a floater way off the back rim and then lebron ran the time down he had brooks on i think they switched brooks back onto lebron because they wanted to just maybe get more help at the rim and lebron like brooks pressuring up on him lebron blows by him to the left 
and one and that put him up six and, and the game was over and so now we have a 3-1 series anything else you want to talk about for from this game before we move on to another subject no that that's all i really had <laughs> okay so which of the road teams that are up 3-1 i guess i should phrase it differently which of the home teams that are down 3-1 have the best chance of coming back and before you answer a little context here we know the statistics on teams coming back from down 3-1 very rare that it happens overall in nba history but maybe a little higher a percentage chance than you might expect for home teams that are down through one you do have two of the final three at home you are in theory the better team so those teams actually have an 89 percent chance historically of coming back from down three one of our three home teams put them in order who has the best chance to come back so those three teams are the bucks the the grizzlies and the cleveland cavaliers most likely to come back are the bucks um they have their best player back now that was a, a part of the sample is this is the time that Giannis wasn't available next most likely i i think i'd say the grizzlies the lakers are extremely top heavy if lebron or ad even has like a a termed ankle i mean anthony davis had two times where he fell on the floor and 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 wasn't quite right after that in this one and then the Cavs, i just i just don't know that they have enough juice offensively uh to like they can do it but like i don't i think they have the weakest chance of the three yeah i think that's right it, obviously they in theory have the least advantage coming in over the team you probably have to give it to the bucks it's still you think it's going to take one more monster jimmy performance but out of three games you think he can probably do it and milwaukee does have going against them there is this feeling of like man if they really clamp down on defense that they can just make things so difficult for you and make the math so difficult and there's also the fact that the heat are basically having the best three-point shooting first four games of a series ever percentage wise and there's like three or four other series that are close to this they basically have shot 50 percent from three over the first four games of this series so now again they only need one more game to shoot it well but you like i think of and i think the bucks are like you know 11 point favorites or something is the first thing that i saw in game five so i would still think of milwaukee as like 80 percent favorites in the milwaukee games and maybe even like a 55 percent favorite in the miami games but that's also just maybe that's and i think there's also more of a feeling that miami it could run out of gas butler they don't have hero like the load is just too massive and you could just you can think of a scenario more easily i think in that series of well okay miami's just not gonna be able to score and that's and that's how the bucks are gonna win this so that's i I agree with you there but i think there's also a danger at this point of sticking almost too close to the priors and yeah i think we i said this on the cast yeah the the bucks haven't had Giannis, but in the two games that Giannis straight up missed they split those two games and then in the game that he went out after playing 11 minutes i didn't think they were playing well like they didn't have any answers for butler in that game early he really came out and served notice right away and the heat won that game very easily so it's like yeah maybe Giannis would have made the difference but there's no guarantee of, of that whatsoever like now i did pick this as a sweep beforehand and it's worth noting that i picked all three of these teams to win their series relatively easily in either six or i think i picked a sweep for for milwaukee sure feels like a good playoffs to not have made picks in the first round <laughs> hey well at least that's that's what makes this fun though with all this stuff happening against oh, expectations 
I think the Grizz are going to just completely smack the Lakers in game five because that game is 2,000 miles and 48 hours away. And I think just AD, like I could even see AD's like his hip flares up and they're just like, hey, we're not even going to put him on the plane. We'll just leave him back for game six. And LeBron, you could easily see them being like, all right, we're going to play him 30 minutes in this game and we'll pack it in early if we don't have it. It Just maybe I'm giving this Grizzlies team too much credit at this point because they do seem to be a little bit of a mess but i think they'll get back with the home crowd and they'll have an inspired performance i I think that's going to be a pretty big blowout Cavs knicks i think that's kind of like a 50 50 type of game so i I think both the grizz and the bucks could absolutely do it but what i mean i guess we'll talk about it if and when it happens but for miami to to have these two wins over the bucks and yeah the bucks smacked them in 21 but jimmy obviously like wasn't right in that series like i think if you compare clearly it would seem now that like 21 is the outlier on his playoff performances with the miami heat because he has been awesome in the other three playoffs that he's had with them get a little more news to get to here though injury news sadly in the golden state sacramento series yeah i mean dear we don't know everything about it but De'Aaron Fox suffered an avulsion fracture on his left index finger that is his shooting hand and it occurred with a few minutes to go in the fourth quarter so part of what you and I saw was I believe fatigue but part of it was also probably this avulsion fracture in his index finger Fox currently listed as doubtful for their game Wednesday against the Warriors and again there is a difference between being available and being yourself and my hope is that De'Aaron Fox is as close to himself as he can be as long and as he can be himself as quickly as possible. But this does make it significantly harder for the Grizzlies or sorry, the Kings to win game five and winning game five is pretty damn close to mandatory for them. It's interesting that he's being listed as doubtful right now. I think he's going to try to play. I mean, one would think, and I'm not sure what he could do. I mean, you can't, it's hard to really do, you know, like a painkilling injection, your finger, like you just need that fine motor control. Like that wouldn't really work very well. Some sort of a splint. Now we did see Kobe play with an avulsion fracture. He of course had a famously high tolerance for pain. Fox did play with it down the end, but obviously the adrenaline was going there. He did hit that big three down the end, but he also had like a couple of kind of ugly misses. He, when he, he injured it actually just after the whistle like taking a, a floater that Kevon Looney like kind of just half-heartedly tried to block and then it looked like he just hit his hand afterwards it is on the very tip of the index finger it's also possible that it'll be it would be more of an issue dribbling than it would be shooting I think like shooting is kind of just it's more controlled it's when you if you you're dribbling it's it's more a little more reactive if you feel a sudden pain I think we've seen Josh struggle more with his dribbling than with his shooting fox kind of plays a little more under control game at this point like he's not going to go flying the way jaw does necessarily i don't think he's going to be worried about you know falling on it or something yeah it would really surprise me if he didn't try to play the fact that he's being considered doubtful right now now maybe it's the type of thing like i think kobe did miss like a couple of games when he like first got it and maybe it's like it's painful enough right now that you just can't deal with it and it'll subside enough over a couple of days that maybe you'd be back for game six if that or i mean that game will happen 
it's a bummer. I'm not willing to like write off yet the idea that he could play and be effective, but we'll see. And I'm sure if he does try to play Mike Brown, I'll have a very close eye on how he's looking and whether he's actually helping the team or not. Uh, I mean, I've no, I haven't really had these hand injuries. I'm not really sure. Like it is the tip of the index finger. Like if it were, you know, the, yeah, so it's that last bone on the finger basically where he has this, that's probably the best place for it to be. If it were lower, he probably would, you just wouldn't be able to play with it at all. So it's just, it's tough. Cause you, it's, you can't really like tape that to another finger. If it's your index finger, like your ring finger, you could probably do that. I think so. I, I'm interested to see it, it would just, it would really shock me if he's not at least like out there trying to trying to give it a go and it just it'll be and they are listing him as doubtful that technically means 25 percent chance that he could play but i think they're more kind of being protective of him at this point i i don't know we'll see what the the reporting indicates that uh, i'm uh but obviously they need him at his absolute best if they hope to win we also have a coach hiring danny we do and it is a pretty significant surprise to me that ime odoka not only made his decision at this juncture in the process but also chose the Houston Rockets. There there could be a financial element of it that we will eventually find out here, a stronger contract or whatever, because the Houston Rockets are definitely a work in progress. That progress could come very quickly if they get the number one or even honestly the number two pick and or James Harden in free agency. And considering Udoka appears to have been the apple of Masai Ujiri's eye. Now, you can make a very compelling case that over the next four or five years, the Houston Rockets will have not only superior talent kind of overall, but also an arc that is more favorable for a coach. Also, you can make an argument, partially because it's Nick Nurse versus Steven Silas, that having a higher caliber coach will make more of a difference for the Rockets, that that, that you know, that there's there's more more that he can change there. But I'm still very surprised to see Ime Odoka take this job. And hopefully we'll this and Jared Weiss talked about this a little bit. Well, this is the impetus for us to get additional clarification on the parts of the story in Boston that we still don't really know. I doubt that'll happen because he'll fall back on and probably wisely considering there could be some legal action but also frankly to protect everyone's privacy which i, I think is is important and a lot sometimes people fall back on that and it's a bullshit excuse i think for him to give additional detail on it would not be something that would be fair to everyone else involved at this point nor does it benefit him at all i think he he just he's gonna politely decline to answer any such questions i also said this when he got suspended that to me this made him unemployable by the boston celtics uh particularly if the person involved were still working there the idea of reassigning her because he had an inappropriate relationship with her would not have been acceptable and also just simply the message that it sends with this misconduct in that organization and so you know there was a backlash with the, his potential hiring in Brooklyn that seems to have derailed it, but he still has come up for some of these other openings anyway. And the Houston Rockets, I don't think they really care that much, honestly, but <laughs> in that organization about what he did in Boston, as long as he didn't commit any crimes, I don't think they really care that much. And I'm sure they discussed it during the interview process and, and they're quite okay with it. And I do think that on the floor, 
he's a very good fit. The, the biggest thing that he was praised for was bringing accountability. And that is something that has been sorely lacking for the Houston Rockets. I also think, though, that he benefited from what were obviously two awesome assistants in Missoula and Will Hardy, who were great head coaches this year in their own rights. And now that doesn't mean that he can't be good. Like a lot of coaches have had good assistants over the years who've gone on to great things. That doesn't mean that they're just like paper tigers who rely on them. But we've seen a few coaches also who weren't able to do as well without certain assistants. And so we'll see uh, on that front. And also, I think that the Houston Rockets must have offered him an awesome deal to beat out. It would appear the Toronto Raptors. They obviously focused in on him rather than Nick Nurse. And I don't know what the details are going to be, but I'm guessing he got a five-year deal, a five minus one probably. I'm guessing he got very good money, like well above, you know, probably six, six, seven, eight million a year or something like that probably. And maybe even a, a little bit more of a voice because it, for him to sign on before the lottery, that's kind of surprising to me. And maybe the Rockets were like, no, we need to make this happen now. And it, it seems like Rafael Stone, he's in danger. He's under pressure to make them a lot better, but he probably also was given license to really go after a guy and that's what he apparently did yeah and we'll see how the imeudoka rafael stone tillman fertita relationships all move moving forward but i mean udoka is is a very good coach had did a great job in his in his one year with the celtics and we'll see where it goes yeah now there is an interesting potential scenario where if they sign him for big money and they disappoint they're going to be under all this pressure to make a move. They have assets. They have cap space. Now, Harden and Yudoka were together in Brooklyn in 2021. Maybe they feel like Yudoka will help uh, lure James Harden to Houston this offseason. But I think there's a very plausible scenario in which they just aren't able to put a talented enough team together. Or they make a big swing. and it or, or maybe he lures Kyrie to Irving to Houston. <laughs> Oh, man. I have a feeling this offseason is going to get crazy. And obviously, it's starting off with who gets the number one pick. I, I, I was I started writing a free agency preview for The Athletic and like going through like all the, the weirdness of all of the different players who could be prioritized by different teams. Like it's just like with the variables in player, just so like so many unusual free agents like Kyrie and Draymond and Harden that like could end up leaving good teams of their own volition. It's it's so fascinating. Oh man, I mean, we're probably going to do start doing our off season work in like a week here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that reminds me, I got to update the free agent rankings. So last thing, Dejounte Murray is going to be suspended for Game Five. Mercifully, as far as I'm concerned, uh, he made contact with an official. We, we talked about this a little bit last night. It seemed pretty obvious he was going to be suspended. He was get an early start on his vacation. So you'd imagine that Boston is a pretty good bet to close that one out in five and Phoenix has a chance to do so tomorrow as well. We will probably, and so does uh, Denver against Minnesota. We will probably take the night off tomorrow. If there is anything crazy that happens, maybe we'll talk about it at some point on Wednesday. Wednesday is going to be an insane night of basketball with four huge games. I'm going to be in Sacramento. I don't know how the hell I'm going to watch four games and watch that one in person and drive back so you'll probably get a podcast at about 4 a.m on on wednesday night or it'll be two podcasts one on wednesday night one on thursday during the day either way yeah maybe that's maybe if like one a couple of those games are blowouts maybe i'll just wait to watch them until thursday or something but obviously if there are like classic games that happen that night get them to them but okay i'm doing that thing where i ramble because it's late as hell we'll touch y'all probably on wednesday 
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.